0: If you've been with us, we started the book of Colossians. We went through the beginning part of it. Quick summary, Colossians is a book about a problem in the church. Um, in the book of Colossians, what happens is uh, it's a book that Paul had never visited the town of Colossae. He'd never been there. Um, and what had happened was Paul went to visit, or Paul uh, was in prison, and the guy by the name of Epaphras, who had been a key player in that church, started to see a problem. So he traveled 1,000-plus miles to go up and meet Paul. He said, Paul, we got a problem down here in the church. Paul then writes a letter to the church, and that's the letter we have in our Bible that's known as the book of Colossians. So uh, that's the background. Here's the problem. A bunch of people. Uh, Epaphras had gotten saved. He had gone back home to Colossae. He had started witnessing to people. People came to know Christ. A small church started to develop. Colossae is a town about half Greek half Jew. So the Greeks got who got saved started looking at it going you know this salvation thing just seems like there ought to be more to it. So they started adding stuff. And they started bringing in some Gnostic things about knowledge and knowing this and knowing that. So they started adding stuff to it. Then the Greek or the Jews who got saved they kind of came in and said you know it just seemed pretty simple to us about putting your faith and trust in Christ. And we kind of missed some of our Jewish stuff so they started bringing that in. So the Jews are going, hey, look, you've got to be saved and circumcised and keep the Old Testament laws and the feast days and the Sabbath. And the Greeks are going, hey, you've got to be, or, got to be saved and you've got to add this knowledge thing to it. You've got to seek out this deeper truth kind of thing. And, 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 and it became this kind of convoluted mess. And Epaphras, who's watching this thing, realizes if this thing's not nipped in the bud quick, this thing's going to take root, and he's going to have a lot of problems in the church. So he spends his time and travels a 1,000-plus miles to go see Paul and says, Paul, you've got to help me here. So Paul writes this letter. So we talked about part of it last week. Now we're going to dive into the letter and start getting into the nitty-gritty kind of stuff. So here's where we go. First, our Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. Uh, he said, uh, okay, first of all, here's what you've got to understand about this. Uh, this starts in verse 9. This is a 218-word sentence, and we're going to break it up. All right? You want to talk about a run-on sentence? There it is. Here it is. All right? Ah, uh, you know, this drives an English teacher nuts. Now we break it down by periods in English, but in Greek, this is like 218-word, one big chunk thing. So uh, here's what we're. Going to, this is the section we're going to look at the first half. Then we'll look at the second half next week. For this reason. Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So we're going to stop there. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, look, I'm praying for you guys, and there are two things that I'm praying for specifically. He said, I'm praying for knowledge of his will. Remember when I said the Greeks were bringing in this this knowledge thing? Here it is. It's actually the Greek word... Gnosis, which is actually from the idea of Gnostic teaching, was all about knowledge. So Paul says, look, let me talk to you about knowledge. You know, I, I love Paul, because Paul doesn't like tiptoe around it to be politically correct, you know. Well, we're in verse 9, and he's already addressing a problem. So right the bat, he says, okay, let me talk to you a little bit about knowledge, because I'm asking God to fill you with knowledge of his will. And that's important. Paul said, this is my prayer for you, for knowledge of his will, through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. He says, look, this is my prayer for you. My prayer is that you guys will understand what God's will is. <clears throat> now, in America, and in our uh, American Christianity, we think of God's will as a destination. Okay, in other words, It's like, okay, Lord, should I buy the new car, or should I buy the, old, the, the used car? I'm, I want to seek your will on that. Kids are like, should I go to this college or that college? Should I marry that person or not? We, we look at the will of God as a destination, as, a, as an event, as a, as, a, as a goal kind of thing. It's not how the Bible looks at the will of God. That's not how Paul here looks at the will of God. Paul looks at the will of God here as a way of life. And, and this is important for us to understand because if, when you see the will of God as a destination, here's what often happens. You're like you go along in life and then you're like, "Okay, now, you know, this is like a biggie, this is a big decision, so I need like God's will and discernment on what I should do here." But if God's will is a way of life, it's impossible for you to miss it. Cuz you're in the middle of God's will every day. And you know, I mean, you know, people look at, you know, people ask about our story and come in here. Because God's will was a way of life we didn't miss it because we were looking for how we could serve god each day when the opportunity came it was just kind of a natural thing for us to go yeah you know um because i think sometimes we see it as a destination and paul says look i'm praying for knowledge of his will and notice what he says through all wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives he said, this isn't a thing where you, like, manufacture it. He said, he said God's spirit, he said, it, it comes from God. I want you to understand how God sees life. I want you to understand how God views the thing. So whatever you're struggling with right now, here's, here's Paul's prayer. Here's my prayer. I want you to see it from the way God sees it. You got a problem in a relationship? I want you to see what God says about how you fix problems with relationships. You got a problem with money? I want you to see how God, what God says about money you got a problem with your job and your employer or that, that employee or that, that, that coworker. I want you to see it from God's perspective. Just what I talked to the kids about this morning. I, I want you to see it from God's perspective. God says we love those people. We want to look at life from God's perspective. From the, and we get that from God's Spirit. We get that from God's Word. We get that from surrounding ourselves with God's people and, and understanding what God wants. And Paul said, that's my prayer for you. Now notice what he goes on to say. Because now he's going to give us a deal. He's going to to give us three things that he wants from them, and then he's going to give us the results of what happens if we implement those three things. Notice what he said. So that you may, here's the first, live a life worthy of the Lord. Second, and please him in every way. Third, bearing fruit in every good work growing in the knowledge of God says, look, here's what I want for you. First of all, I want you to walk worthy of the Lord. In other words, if you're going to say you're a Christian, I want you to walk like one. You're going to hang that necklace around your neck, or you're going to put that bumper sticker on your car? Then act like it. You know, you're going to put a bumper sticker on your car that says, I'm a Christian, then you better be driving like one. Ooh. That's why I don't put bumper stickers on my car. No, um, no. <laughs> I mean, really. You know, if you're going to do that, then act like it. That's what Paul says. Walk worthy of the Lord. Because you've got to remember, in this culture, in this culture, being a Christian was not a popular thing. In this culture, when you said you were a Christian, it was a term of ridicule. You didn't put little crosses and little fish on your, on, your, on your stuff because in this culture, you got made fun of for that. Literally, the term Christian started in Antioch as a term of ridicule, calling people, you guys are like little mini Christ people. And Christ in that culture was somebody who had died on a cross because he was, he was a rebellious and he was against the, the Jewish and Roman people. It was their idea. He was not looked at in a good way. So to be called, you know, it'd be like, you know, us executing somebody by lethal injection and everybody nicknaming you a mini-them. That was the culture of the day. That was not a popular thing. And Paul says, I want you to walk worthy of the Lord, and I want you to please Him in every way. In other words, I want you to do what God wants you to do. And whatever God tells you to do, that's what you should do. And... I want you to bear fruit. I want want it to make a difference in your life. Pleasing him in, uh, in every way, bearing fruit, growing in the knowledge of God. He said, I want you to start living life like God wants you to live life. That's what Paul said he wanted for him. That's what I'm praying for. You know what God wants from us? There it is. He wants your faith to make a difference in the way you do your day today and tomorrow and all week. You ought to be a different kind of employee from everybody else. You ought to be a different kind of kid in the classroom than everybody else. You ought to be a different kind of person waiting in line with that cashier who doesn't know what she's doing. With that parts guy who gets the part order wrong. You ought to handle it differently. You ought to handle it differently when that waitress is slow when they get your order wrong. Why? Because we do it differently. Because we're Christians. Because we're followers of Christ. And there's a very simple test. Would Jesus Christ have handled it the way you handled it? Well, my rights, you don't understand. I'm paying for that service. Okay. You really think Jesus sitting at a restaurant, with lousy service, would start demanding his rights. Wait a minute, you're going to call yourself a mini-Christian. One who's like Christ. So, can you see Christ doing what you're about ready to do? That's what Paul says. It ought to make a difference in the way we live. It's not about slapping a a title on us, calling ourselves Christians. It's about slapping a title on us and then living up to that title. That's what he says. And then notice what he says. Now, this is important. Because now he's going to say, if you can do this, here's what's going to happen. And notice what he says. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. So he says, all right, listen, if you can start to live like this, here's what's going to happen. First of all, you're going to have endurance. You're going to be able to handle the stuff that comes through you, to you through life. When, 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 that, when that turnover happens at work and everything's upside down and, and, and everybody's job is in jeopardy, you're going to be okay with it. You see, you're walking according to the knowledge of the will of God, You're pleasing him and everything. You realize your life is is not your own. You realize that your job is really a way to serve him. So if God is going to take this job, he's going to do something else over here. You're you're, you're able to endure that. You're able to have patience. You're able to have patience in that McDonald's line when you pay for your meal and you go up to the window and they say, could you please pull a head up there? We're going to bring it out. And you say, praise God, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> No, not bless your heart. That's a southern thing. We're not getting into that. Um, but being strengthened with all power so that you can have great endurance and patience and joyful thanks to the Father. He says, you know what? He said, you're going to be able to have a joyful attitude in life if you can live this way. And you're going to be able to be thankful and grateful if you can learn to live this way. Paul said, that's my prayer for you. That's what I want for you. A Christianity that's real. It's not about getting more knowledge. It's not about doing all that Jewish stuff that you want to add to it. No, 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 no. It's about this. And Paul says, look, that's what I'm wanting for you. And, and, And I'm not saying it's always true, but here's my question to you. If you're short-tempered, and if you don't have any endurance, and everything rattles your cage, and you don't have any joy, and you don't have any gratitude, could it be, could it be that you're not doing the things up at the beginning about walking worthy Wanting to know what God says, implementing it the way God wants it to be. Could it be? I'm not saying it always is, but I'm saying, you know what? Paul says, if we can do these things, here's the result. And so if if, if you're struggling in all these areas, you have to be honest with yourself to say, maybe it's because I'm not growing like I should. Maybe it's because I haven't taken the next step. Maybe it's because I'm not seeking out God's way. I'm doing it my way. You have to be honest with yourself about that. And then notice what he goes on to say. He ends it up by saying that, Um, giving joyful thanks to the God who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued you, us, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul now looks at these people and he says, look, let me tell you why this is important. Because you have forgotten what God has done. And he said, you need to remember what God's done for you guys. See? Here's what was happening. These people were going, you know what? We put our faith and trust in Christ, but we think that there should be more. And Paul goes, what do you mean more? Don't you understand what God has done? God has, and he starts this list. He says he has given you inheritance in the holy people in the kingdom of light. In the Bible, in, in the, particularly in the Jewish world, this idea of light was really, really important. Light doesn't mean that big deal to us. We walk into a room, flip a switch. But in this culture, life was, light was everything. If you didn't have enough oil, then you didn't have any light. If the fire went out, it was dark. You couldn't cook. So light and dark is this theme that you see in this culture, which meant something that was good versus something that was bad. And Paul said, look, God has taken you from a kingdom of darkness, if you will, into a kingdom of light. Don't you get it? Don't you get that You don't have to live over there anymore? What do you mean there's got to be more? And then he goes on. For he has rescued you from the dominion of darkness, brought you into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. He says, look, not that, but he took you and made you his child. You have an inheritance. You don't earn an inheritance. You just get an inheritance. He said, he gave you an inheritance. He brought you into his family. He adopted you. He made you one of his own. And then he goes on and he says, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. He said, don't you understand? And listen, in this world, everybody knew what this meant. Because see, in this world, if you got tired of cleaning your house, you went down to the market, and there would have been a slave auction, and you would have said, yeah, I want that person to come and clean my house and be my slave, and I'm going to go over, and here, here's $200. Now, you belong to me. And you have to do what I say. You are now my property. And when Paul says, you are redeemed and forgiven, these people understood exactly what that meant. That God has bought you with a price. That God owns you. And the crazy thing about God is, he then turned around and set you free. To live however you want. If you wanted to choose to go back to that world, choose to go back to that world. But he freed you. That's why Paul says, I beseech you by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice to him. After all he's done, man, just turn around and give your life back to him. That was the whole argument to the Romans in Romans chapter 12. But notice what he says here. He says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." God has done an incredible thing in your life. Don't forget that. So let's talk about a couple of takeaways, some things that we can apply this week. Um, First of all, we have to learn to walk the way God wants us to walk. We're in a culture that says we can walk a certain way and we'll make the Bible agree with the way that we walk. You're watching churches, denominations, you're watching all kinds of organizations shift and say, it's a cultural thing, let's throw out what the Bible says or let's tweak the Bible to make it say something it doesn't say. That's not how we work. What we do is we go to the Bible and say, what does the Bible say about this? Okay, then that's what I need to do. So we go to the Bible and we say, what does the Bible say about what kind of employee I'm supposed to be? Okay, that's what I need to do. We go to the Bible and say, what does the Bible say? about how I'm to respond to my government. And that's what we do. We pray for our leaders, we support our leaders. Romans chapter 13. We go to our Bible, and we say, what does the Bible say about how I should take care of or help my neighbor? And we go, and we do that. Because, you see, we allow the Word of God, God's will, to determine how we live our lives. And we make it a daily thing. And we make it a way of life, not a destination. So the will of God is, for this afternoon, whatever it is that God has for you to do, that's what you need to do. It's it's just intrinsic in the way we live our lives. And he talks about this idea that, like I say, that was Paul's prayer for these people, that they do that, that they seek out the will of God. You're here this morning. What does that tell me? Um, It's not potluck, so you're not here for the food. Um, But you're here to, I hope. Worship God, fellowship with one another, pray for one another, learn from the Word of God, and apply it and go out and do something different about what you hear today. That's why we come. We come, it's not for me, it's so that I can live differently for people around me, so that I can live differently to please my Heavenly Father. That's what I'm here for. And what, that's exactly what he's saying. He's saying, look, to be able to grow in the knowledge and will of God, And to get God's perspective on it, not the world's, not culture's, not anything else, what does God say? And whatever problem you're struggling with right now, hear me. The Word of God addresses it. The Word of God addresses it. It is timeless. It is accurate. It is principled in such a way that the principles transcend all times, all cultures, all races, all history. Because God wrote it that way. And you go, you know, and and you're going, I don't know, you know, there's some Old Testament stuff. I don't see how, you know. Tomorrow I'm talking to a a bunch of people about, (laughs) there's actually a principle that I'm going to share with people tomorrow. That um, the blue pomegranates on the robe of Aaron. Actually, there's a principle taught there about God, believe it or not. Why? The principles transcend time. And you're going, I don't know what it is. Well, you know, we'll talk sometime. But anyway, it's kind of cool. Anyway, um, here's the idea, though. The idea is, look, it transcends time, and you and I are to apply it. We, We understand. We learn about it. We understand it. We apply it to our life. We, and then here's the second thing, we grow spiritually. Look, here's where some of you are right now. You're stuck. There's not a person in here that does not have another step to take spiritually. Because we all keep taking steps until we die. There's no one sitting in here, myself included, who's got all the total package, got it all figured out, and done it all right, and we have arrived at our destination. Here's when you arrive at your destination, when you take your last breath and you stand before God. Then there's no more steps. But until then, God has another step, outside of our comfort zone for everybody sitting in here and i don't know what that step is i am not talking about salvation this is very very important i'm not talking about salvation i'm talking about christian growth and when i put my faith and trust in christ i start to grow spiritually and there's always something else for me to go to next just like a baby you know um where is he there he is um he's like the youngest guy in here right now um we don't expect him to look like that in 30 years. At some point, he's going to be running around here like a banshee with his head cut off. At some point, you know, he's going to be sitting at potluck with two big plates. You know, at some point, he's going to come driving into the parking lot. We expect steps all the way along. You know, right? That's growth. It's no different for us as, as Christians. It's growth. God has a series of steps for each of us. And listen to me. Some of you are struggling in your Christian life right now because you are unwilling to take the next step. Whatever that step is, for some of you, it's communion. And you won't take communion for whatever reason. For some of you, it's baptism. For some of you, it's like, you know, I just don't see the importance or necessary of that. Let me tell you the importance and necessity of it. Because God says to do it. Period. Oh, I don't know. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me just to get. What God says to do it. Period. Want well, to understand this whole giving thing? And you go, oh, see, I knew a church talking about giving. Look, then don't give here, but give somewhere. I'm to the point again. This is not Bible. This is personal opinion. I'm to the point. Just give. Just make it a part of your life that your life is not about consumption, that your life is about giving to others. Just give. For some of you, it's about service. Your whole Christian existence has become all about you. You don't have another person that you're serving or ministering to on a regular basis. You don't have another place that you are serving somewhere, and that's your next step. For some of you, it might be trying to heal some family stuff. You know, it's interesting. Again, you know, we've had a lot of talk about Bob over the last week, and Laura and I have spent a lot of time and talking about everything. But if 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 you know Bob's journey, you know, Bob came to know Christ here, and for a while, Bob was really excited about serving the Lord. And then, like many, kind of got off track. And it wasn't that big a deal to him. And he kind of pushed church stuff away for a while. When the whole cancer thing came up, Bob's eyes kind of got opened a little bit. And and one of the big issues for Bob that I had talked to him about years before, Laura had talked about, others had talked to him about, was getting baptized. And Bob just said, no, 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 no. Kept pushing away. Even when Laura got baptized, Bob wouldn't. And Bob finally realized, in his life, that was the step that he was refusing to take for God to open up and start really working in his life. Because that had been his wall. And he said, his words, not mine. That was the first time I really became obedient and started. And his life, his Christian journey, and everything else took off not because of baptism, but because of his obedience. And that is so important. And for every one of us in here, there is another step. I know what mine is. I know what I'm struggling to do. I know what my next step is. I don't know what yours is, but you know, and you need to take it. And the last thing is, he talks about in here is, understand what God has done in your life. He has taken you from this world of sin and Satan that's all about yourself, that's all about you, that's all focused on what you want, that's all focused about Uh, doesn't care about other people, doesn't care about the things of God. It's it's all about you. He's taken you from that world. He has bought you. He has redeemed you. He has paid the price at Calvary. You put your faith and trust in him, and he picked you up, and he planted you over here in this world. He planted you in a world in which you have an inheritance, in which you are a son of God, you are a child of God. He has given you a new way to look at life. He has given you all the resources you need to handle all of that stuff. He has put you in a world where it can be about others and not about yourself. And he has given you, you can go through the Old Testament and New Testament. It is amazing the things that God does when you put your faith and trust in Christ. He redeems you and sanctifies you and sets you apart and takes your sins and removes them as far as the east is from the west, buries them in the depths of the deepest sea. He gives you a new purpose, a new life, a new focus. He gives you energy and strength and ability to handle every day with his power and his word and his spirit. He has put the spirit of God within you to work out all kinds of problems you struggle with every single day and to handle things in a way that no other person would handle them. That's what he's done for you. And you know what some of you do? You want to live over here. Why? Why? Um, Josh came home for the funeral. It was interesting because one of the big things, when we celebrate in our house, when we have uh, something to celebrate in our house, it, it involves two things. Steak and potatoes. Okay. So I knew Josh was coming home. Josh hadn't had a good steak since he had been away. So I said, you know, I said, Friday night, I said, after the funeral, and everything, I said, come over, we'll have steak and potatoes. So we made a great big, Josh was sitting there eating, and of course, you know, he's like, oh, you know, God is so good, um, you know, and he's eating a steak, and he, t- and, and he tells us a story. He said, he said, I'm down in, in Biloxi, he said, and the guys went out, and they went out to this big fancy steak place, and he said, and they ordered a steak, and they asked me, and they said, don't you want a steak, and Josh said, no, he said, I'm not going to order a steak, and he said, why, Josh, I mean, you know, look at the menu, man, these are great, you know, it's, it's Angus beef, you know. And Josh said, it's grass-fed. And they said, you can't tell me that you know the difference between a grass-fed and a corn-fed piece of meat. And Josh said, oh, yeah, I do. And they said, no, there is no way. They said, that's impossible. You can't know it. And Josh said, all right. So he's sitting there. He said, before you cut into it, let me tell you what you're going to find. He said, you're going to find it's going to be stringy. And you're going to find there's no marbling to it. But he said, go ahead. Cut into it. And they cut into it, and Josh goes, see that? See that? See that? See that? See that? that? Grass-fed. And they're like, "We can't. So we're trying to figure out how to get corn-fed beef down there. Um, But anyway, here's the point. The point is this. Why didn't Josh want that? Because he's had this. Now, I'm not, don't take this too far. I'm not saying grass-fed beef is from Satan. I'm not saying that. <clears throat> now, some of you might believe that, but that's not what I'm saying, all right? But here's what I'm saying. All they knew was this. And this, in their world, is great. But Josh has had this kind of steak. And Josh knows that if you ever have a choice between this kind of steak and that kind of steak, he'll choose this. And in Josh's case, Josh enjoyed this so much that he said, I'm not willing to pay for that, and I will wait another, at that point it was going to be eight weeks, till I get home and can have this, because this is so much better. Now hear me this morning. When you really understand what we have in Christ, we don't want that. We don't want that. And so we're willing to wait however long it takes because of what we enjoy here. That's why I don't understand why some of you want to run back over here. When you have this and the analogy would be this they put two kinds of steaks in front of josh the grass fed and the corn fed and josh goes i'll take the grass fed who would do that unless you're raising grass-fed beef and you want to support them i mean that's the only thing i can think of you know understand what we have been given folks why do we want to live that way why do we want to embrace those things Why do those things have the appeal? And Satan's going to make them, dress them all up and everything else. Believe me, they had everything they could do to sell that steak. Fancy pictures, Angus stamp, boom, 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 boom. But somebody who had been over here knew about that and said, nah, not for me. Not for me. And I want to challenge you because I see so many people do that. So my challenge to you that goes something like this as we wrap it up. God's desire and plan is for each of us to grow and mature in Christ. We've got to seek God's perspective. We've got to change our life to reflect his word and his will. His will is not a destination. It's a way we live our lives through this journey that we call life. And each of us needs to take the next step. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, for some, this has been a long struggle. Lord, they've kind of got stuck because, Lord, they're just, for whatever reason, haven't been willing to do the next thing they need to do. So, Lord, help each of us to be honest with ourselves, to be honest before you, and do what we need to do. Lord, for those this morning that may not even understand the idea of a new life in Christ, that, Lord, they've never put their faith and trust in you, Lord, that's their next big step. Would you help them to do that? For those of us that have, Lord, Lord, May we live this week according to your will, according to your word, according to what you desire for us, Lord, because it is the best way to live our lives. When it is all said and done, and we stand before you, Lord, we will give you the honor and the glory and the praise you since we ask in your name. Amen. Let's stand together.